Good morning, Living Streams. Uh, another, another Sunday here, July 26th. It's good to be with you. Um, and uh, it's real important that we continue to do this. I've been thinking about this. It's so different. I mean, I'm here talking to a camera. You're looking at your phone or your TV, something like that. And uh, it doesn't necessarily feel the same, but I really know that at least in the spiritual realm, but I also believe in the natural realm, it is bringing us together when we take the time to do this, worshiping together, hearing from the Word of God together, having this common experience together. Um, and I really think it's important we continue to really push into this. Um, I know we're going to be getting a new executive order or some new details from the governor as this last 30-day deal um, comes to a close. And I uh, want you to stay tuned to our website. And, and also Sunday mornings we'll be announcing what's going on, what's next for us at Living Streams. Um, but please continue. I know, you know, summertime's going and school's going to fire up and, and all these changes. It's easy to let this type of thing slide. But it's real important we stay together um, as we go into whatever the Lord has for us, but also whatever the world's going to throw at us. We need each other in this regard. So thank you so much for, for sticking with us. Um, today we're going to be in the book of John again as we're trekking through, as we're trying to hear from the Apostle John about Jesus. Um, and uh, John actually was writing his, his gospel, his book about Jesus, long after the other three writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all called gospels written about Jesus. Um, and the three of those, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were written probably a little closer to about 60 um, A.D., you know, 30 years or so after Jesus was gone. And, and yet John was more like 90 A.D. He was at the end of his life. Um, the, the Roman persecution of both Jews and Christians had just been rampant. Um, John had been, and, and many other Christians, had been forced out of Jerusalem. And um, he landed up in Ephesus where there was a church going on up there. And, and so as he's writing this book, he probably has that cultural context in mind. It was not necessarily Judaism that he was writing into. It was, it was probably more writing this gospel for the Greek mind um, as he was trying to translate to them who God is. And that, we see that in John chapter 1 when he says that Jesus is the Word. And the Word in the Greek is logos, which is this powerful, intense Greek word that basically um, has to do with God's logical argument used to convince the world that he is loving and just. That's one of the definitions of it. It's like, it's a logical argument. Um, the Greeks really, you know, valued philosophy and all those things. And so he's appealing to them saying, basically, the word, Jesus was, the, was, was God's logical answer to all the questions humanity could ever have. Um, in another place, it says that, that um, the logos is, is the universal principle, um, the controlling principle of the world. And again, that's a real, um, you know, ode to the Greeks that, that would be reading this later on. And we know from the book of John that his whole premise in writing this book, the thing that he wanted so badly, and he says this in John 20, 31, is that you may believe. I have written every single word of this book. I've written all these stories, these signs and wonders that have taken place, these I am statements of Jesus, all this eyewitness account of what I experienced as I interacted with Jesus. I'm writing these things down so that you may believe in him. And uh, we've done some work to try and define what belief is. Obviously, um, there's a lot of different um, things that people say when it comes to belief. Is it more of a heady thing? Is it more of an experiential thing? And uh, the way that I really believe John and the New Testament writers try and define faith or believing in Jesus, um, one is to, to have a pledge of allegiance. Um, we do the Pledge of Allegiance to America, and you know we know our country right now is 
is uh, experiencing a lot of division, a lot of unrest, a lot of challenge, a lot of stress, a lot of anger, um, even guilt. Um, there's a lot of those things going on, and, and yet we pledge this allegiance to our country um, that, will, that will stand up for her and will fight for her. And, and, uh, and, and though I don't think that's bad or anything like that, the, the scripture calls us to pledge our allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom. Um, it really calls us to no longer associate ourselves as Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, is what the, the Paul was writing in, in his day and age. And we could say we're not supposed to really be kind of identifying ourselves and, and camping primarily in black or white, Democrat or Republican, rich or poor. None of those things matter when we come to the cross of Jesus Christ. We are now a new creation. We are now people of God. We are now citizens of his kingdom. And we have to remember that that's our call, that we're pledging allegiance not to some political party, not to some, you know, um, social justice organization. What, what we're called to do is pledge our allegiance to Jesus and his spirit and what he's at work in this world. So I want to just really remind you, church, to make sure and be careful not to get all caught up in the, in the vain jangling, in the, in, the, in the convincing philosophies of our day, but to remember to keep about the gospel, keep about what the Bible teaches, and make sure that we're really citizens of his kingdom above everything else. It's not wrong to be Irish, or it's not wrong to be African, right? Like, have those descendants and just celebrate those things. That's great. But when we come into um, the house of God, what we are is we are one. We are all the same at the foot of the cross. And we got to remember that as we go forward into this divisive time. Um, not just pledging allegiance um, to God, but, but in some ways we order our life in accordance with his, with his word. That's what faith means. It's kind of we reorient our lives. We, we, we set up our lives in accordance with, with who he is and what he did. And ultimately, I love how John kind of has this idea of building trust over time. Um, when he first met Jesus, he was this son of thunder. He was this fiery guy. But then towards the end of John, and as we go on, he's the one who's laying against Jesus' breast. He's the one that Jesus loved. That's how he was identifying himself. No longer this fiery kind of maybe even arrogant or whatever he was, but now this person who's just totally thankful to be a part of the family of God, to have known Jesus. And I hope that's what stirs in us in this time. We've called ourselves to this from the very beginning of this COVID season, that God is asking us to be humble and to be generous. And I really want us to be um, good at that and known for that as we go through this, both in our individual lives as a church as, as a whole as well. So John 3.31 kind of sums this up, this whole concept of faith. Once again, John reiterates what he's trying to do. If you want to turn there, John 3.31 says, the one who comes from above is above all. Again, philosophical. You can see him speaking to Greeks here. The logos. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. Only Jesus knows what is true because he has been with the Father. He has been outside of this corrupt world. But, one, but no one in this corrupt world accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truth, has basically pledged their allegiance. They've stamped their card in the truth. They've basically said, I am for the truth if we put our allegiance, if we put our faith in Christ. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on 
them. So there's the heaviness of what happens. Our faith really does determine our standing with God. By faith, we can enter into his love and grace and mercy because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, the price that he paid. Or without faith in Jesus, we find ourselves remaining under the wrath of God, where the, the punishment that was poured on in Christ is not, is, not put, is not taken on our behalf. So the wrath of God remains us. So faith is so important, so valuable. It really is what pivots us for all of eternity. And so we need to continue to learn about faith, to practice our faith, to teach our kids about faith, um, all of that. So with that being said, let's go in and uh, we're going to go to John chapter 4 and we're going to get another story from John about a person who came to faith in Jesus. He's already given us John the Baptist who came and, and, and put his faith in his cousin that he was the Messiah. And the reason he did that because God spoke to him and said, the one that you see the, the, the dove descending on, the Holy Spirit descending on, that is the Messiah. And John was out there one time and he baptized Jesus and sure enough, the dove came down and ascended and, and the spirit like a dove ascended on him or descended on him. And so John knew at that point, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The next story we have is uh, John tells us about when he and his, his disciple friends were all going to G with Jesus to a wedding at Cana and there at the wedding at Cana, um, Jesus turned water into wine. And it says right after that story that it says, and this is when the disciples begin to believe in Jesus because of a sign that he had done. They had been following and hanging out with him and listening to him because of, of the things he was saying and teaching. But now they knew there was something more than just this being a man who was doing something special. They knew that this was God in the flesh. This was the Logos, as John would later call him. And then after that, we have so many, it says, many believed on him after, he, after the signs and wonders and cleansing of the temple that he did, which is interesting because here in this, they're not hearing Jesus maybe speak about the things of God. They're not seeing some miraculous sign that, that we get recorded. They're just seeing the righteous indignation of, of Jesus as he's cleansing the temple, as he's standing against the oppressors, as he's fighting with them. And it says many begin to believe that he was more than just a man, more than just um, someone that was coming doing something good, that he was the Messiah. He was God's answer. He was God's one that was coming to save and redeem um, the world. So we have all of those. And then today we get a story about um, a woman that Jesus meets at a well. And uh, so kids, before we jump into it, I want you to draw me a picture of the Samaritan woman at a well. And uh, I'm so thankful again for all the pictures that you've drawn. And adults, you can throw me pictures anytime you want. One time I had an adult throw me one. It's pretty cool. I, was, I liked it. But um, just so you know that I'm taking this seriously, I, I drew one. And you're going to have to try and beat this, okay? Because this is, this is my drawing um, that I'm going to show to you right now. Bam. What are you going to do about this? I would like to say my kids drew this, but it was me. I'm not, I'm not great at it. My wife, she's really good at it and all of that. But this is my woman at the well. And uh, yeah, it ain't pretty, but that's okay. So you got to beat that. And uh, if you do, if you give, if you come and you you say the one, you um, give me the picture, and it's the best one for whatever reason, um, you'll get a little something in your mailbox. And many of you have already. So and thanks for telling me. Thanks for that. But I'm really thanking you for what you've done. So we're good there. All right, John chapter four, the woman at the well, verse one. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, 
but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back at once more to Galilee. So after talking to Nicodemus, after the cleansing of the temple, um, Jesus had a lot of people following him, and he did exactly what his cousin John the Baptist was doing. He would baptize them. And so there's something really significant about baptism. And I'm not going to talk a lot about baptism, but I do want to say, if you are someone who has decided that you want to pledge allegiance to Jesus, you believe in Jesus, you want to associate your life with Jesus, you want to hide your life in Christ, baptism is something that is all over the New Testament in the life of Jesus. Jesus himself was baptized. So please, don't hesitate, don't wait. Contact us. Let us know you're ready to get baptized. Bam, we're going to do this thing. I know what guy's getting baptized this week. I know we have a few people that we're going to be doing a baptism for in, in the next few weeks. Um, I think I might be baptizing one of my daughters tomorrow, um, which is exciting. But um, anyways, so baptism is real. It's biblical. It's Jesus. And if you're ready to follow Jesus, Jesus would say, come into the waters, die to the old life, and be born again to the new life. Um, you know, that's the death under the water and the resurrection coming out of the water. We're following Jesus. And you gain something through the waters of baptism you cannot gain any other way. So get baptized. So now verse 4. Now he had gone, he had to go through Samaria to get where he was going back home to Galilee. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about noon, so it's hot. It's not a, not a, not a great time of day to be um, hanging out. And yet he's thirsty, so he stops at this well. And, uh, and then it says, A Samaritan woman came to draw water, in verse 7, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So here we got to really understand some context. Um, so Jerusalem is here. Galilee is here. Right in the middle is this place called Samaria. Samaria was a place that basically, um, when, when, when the Assyrians came down and took all the northern ten tribes into exile, and later the Babylonians came and took the southern two tribes of Israel, twelve tribes of Israel, and took them into Babylonian captivity, the people that were left, a lot of, they, they left the people that were, were impoverished, the people that um, were, were unable to make the journey. They left the people that basically, you know, they, they rejected certain people and said, you stay here, we're not worried about you at all. And those people ended up intermarrying with, with nations around that started to come into that time. As the, as the Jews evacuated that place, people of other nations came in. And so this is where the Samaria, Samaritan group became um, part, of the, part of Israel's history. And so now as, as the diaspora has come back, as the exile has returned, um, and, and Israel is now full of those Jews who returned, now there's this kind of separation. There's the Jews who would call themselves purebred Jews, and then there's the Samaritans who would be like half-bred Jews. And so there was this real separation, segregation. There was this real, um, really, prejudice, racism, whatever you want to call it, that was taking place at this time. Um, even to the, to the extent where now Jesus, who is a Jewish man, um, is sitting at a well, and he's thirsty. It's noon. There's a lady coming who's a Samaritan to the same well. She's got a bucket. And Jesus says, can, can I have a drink? And that seems very innocent. It seems very innocuous. However... For this woman, it was startling. It was scandalous. And, and Jesus would have known that. Um, his disciples had gone, and so now here's, there's, there's 
a, there's a, a one man, a single Jewish man with a single Jewish woman. And, and you can only imagine what the tabloids would say that were following Jesus or something, how they would spin that. But there is that, that kind of, this is a little bit scandalous all by itself because of the way that the tradition, the culture in that day would, would have viewed this situation. And so Jesus actually extending this invitation to say, hey, can I have a drink? Can, can you and I join each other in this is actually a very, very like provocative type thing. And you can only imagine what started to spin in, the, in this Samaritan woman's mind. Um, so she could have thought maybe this guy's hitting on me. She could have thought, you know, all kinds of different things. But Jesus is asking her for a drink, obviously with pure intentions, but it, and you will see all of that as it goes on. But she kind of says to you, how could you do this? And maybe she's being a little coy. Maybe she's really offended. We don't know what any of that, but we know it's startling. She just basically says, how could you do this? Um, John Piper, as he was unpacking this a little bit, um, he, puts, he puts this quote that I think just kind of helps us understand a little bit about, um, about how intense this was. It says, he is standing by the fountain marked colored, so to speak. He's hearkening back to that segregation time before the civil rights movement. He's standing by the fountain marked colored, watching a black woman fill her water bottle, and then for all to see, says, can I have a drink from your water bottle? And then he says, she says at the end of verse 9, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, but more literally it says, Jews don't use together with Samaritans. They're, they're, we're trying to create a separation. We don't want anything to do with each other. And, uh, and she says, you can't be asking me to use the same bucket because that's not done. And so here, all of this, I'm just trying to give us a little context, but ultimately say that Jesus, he didn't play by these rules. Jesus was someone who saw people for who they were. He knew that all people were created equal, and he valued them, he loved them. Um, he was not worried about, you know, maintaining culture or maintaining um, really stupid cultural ideals. He saw through all of that, and he saw people as people. And uh, we as the church in particular, um, we've got to be better than, than this. We have really got to, we have got to watch out for the divisions that are in our society seeping their way into our church, our family. It is just not to be for the people of God. We are to be united. We are to, like we said, be citizens of heaven. We are to be at the foot of the cross. And all men are equal. All women are equal at the foot of the cross. There is no difference. No difference at all. And basically, we, we're trying to say we're on the good side, they're on the bad side. But here's a news flash for you. All of us are on the wrong side. God is on the right side. God is the only one who's not corrupt. God is the only one who sees things clearly. And all we can do is hope to land ourselves on his side by his grace, his mercy, by the filling of the spirit and the revelation that he gives us in the word of God. We might be able to be on his side here and there, off and on. And that's the goal of us. It's, but, but we should never try to villainize each other or, or start to speak ill of each other. We just need to realize that we all come to the foot of the cross the same. And here Jesus, he's just shooting right through all of these prejudices, all of this racism, all of, he just shoots right through it and goes straight to the heart. And we're gonna get to see that unpacked a little bit more here. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw. And so in this next section, Jesus is basically saying to her, hey, I know what the world has told you. I know what maybe your own soul has told you. I, I know that you feel like um, I think I'm su superior. You think you're superior. There's all these arguments that go back and forth between Samaritans and Jews. But he's saying, look, if you had any idea of this moment that we're in right now, if you had any idea who it is that is offering you living water. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be worried about buckets. You wouldn't be worried about prejudices and stereotypes. You wouldn't be worried about all of those things. You would be able to receive uh, um, water. You would be able to receive refreshment that would last forever, not just a day, not just a few hours. He's obviously speaking to her of a spiritual water that comes when he brings salvation to a person. That her, her, like we said with faith, she could pivot into eternal life. That's what Jesus is offering her. And she doesn't get it at all yet. She's still kind of caught up in a lot of the, the theology or the political stances of the day. Um, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's not all about that. And then he goes on to tell her in verse 16, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. And we don't, again, know the emotion that she says that with. We know because about what's to happen that it was a loaded statement. Because she goes on to say, Jesus, or Jesus says to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband legally. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman says, I can see you are a prophet and our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we're supposed to worship is in Jerusalem. So you can see this, this moment where all of a sudden the air gets so thick and so tense as Jesus says to her, hey, go call your husband. And whether he knew because of something he'd observed or she's coming at a strange time of day so he knows there's something off there, whether it's a revelation the Spirit has given him, we don't know exactly, but, but he, he speaks to her about this place in her life that is painful. And she has had five husbands that either she has left, but that's really probably not true in that society. It's more likely that she has been rejected by them. And maybe she's a very beautiful woman. We don't know. And that, that's something that has happened. Maybe she's really given herself to these men um, physically, thinking that would be something. We don't know exactly what's happened. But we just know that five times she's been rejected. And here she is in a new relationship, thirsty as can be, trying to find some satisfaction, trying to find something in, in, in what a man and what a, a husband can give her. And, and the one that she has now is not legitimate. And, and in this moment, you can see her eyes probably were widening a little bit. She might have started sweating a little bit more. Um, and, and, and she says to him, I, I see you're a prophet. And then instead of saying, I would like to know more about living water. I do need help. I have a problem. 
she says, well, you Jews say this and that, and then we say this and that, and there's this. And so she goes to kind of this religious theological divisions and, and, and philosophies that have gone on. And, and again, totally missing the point, totally deflecting. Um, in, the, in the New Testament, it says that we're supposed to watch out for vain janglings in the King James Version, which I think is such a funny phrase. But also we're supposed to watch out for endless genealogies and, and cunning philosophies. And, and you guys, please know, what you're seeing on your social media feeds, what you're seeing in the news, it, it really has to be taken with a lot of filter. You, you just, you, got under, you can't get caught up in, in what, what's going on. It is exhausting. It is humanism. It is not of God. Jesus speaks of things of God that are not corrupt. They're not human. They're not temporal. But right now we have just got so many vain janglings going on. So please, every once in a while, remember to just get out of there Take a deep breath, read some scriptures, put on some worship music, just cleanse your mind. And before you go into those worlds, before you turn on the news, before you do social media, pause, relax, say, am I ready for this? Pray before you go in. I really think it's an important practice that we're doing because of how powerful these things are in our day and age right now. And that's what she's doing. She's got Jesus in front of her and she's still not able to connect because she's so caught up with these things. And then, she, then they go on, and basically Jesus begins to talk to her. Um, he says, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming when none of that matters. But true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am statement. Jesus using this powerful Jewish language to say, I am he. Um, and basically, that's, that's this moment of truth right there. Where Jesus kind of just drops the bomb and he says, okay, look. We talked about living water and what I can offer. We talked about where you're at truly in your life, if you're honest. And now I'm telling you, you just got to get off of these things. None of that matters. What God is just interested in is you and you're worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Um, and in the spirit and truth, I mean, there's a lot of ways to define it, but uh, simply it could be just kind of like worshiping with, with, your, with your emotion, with, with um, your expression, all of that. And truth could be more your mind. I think that's a safe way to unpack a little bit of Jesus' teaching in the other Gospels that we must worship the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And I think this is the way that God is saying to this woman, this is what God is after. He's, he wants you to worship him. And as you do, you will find in him all that you need to satisfy your soul. And uh, really an intense moment. Um, it's funny, just then the disciples come back. We're not going to get into that. Um, but then I want to pick up in verse 39. And it's, you know, the disciples just got back. They were kind of totally wigged out. Why is Jesus talking to this woman? What's been going on? This is not going to look good in the press reports and all of this stuff. Um, and then the woman, she's just wigging out because of this moment. And uh, she runs back into town. And then it says in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. 
And so many more begin to believe. At first they believed on her word as she's wigging out. And again, this lady in that society was probably not someone that was known to be very trustworthy as she's gone from husband to husband. But here she comes and there was something so compelling about what she was saying about her interaction with Jesus that many more believed. But they did the right thing and they didn't leave it at that. They actually went out to where Jesus was. They sought him out and said, we want to know for ourselves. We don't want to just live off the testimony of somebody else. We want to know for ourselves. So they came and they got to spend two days with Jesus, the Logos, the guiding principle of the world, God's logical argument to show that he is loving and just. Jesus, God in the flesh. They got to spend two days with him. And, and according to his words, as they heard his words, it says they really started to believe. And they even declared that, say, we no longer believe because of what she said. We believe because we, we have heard with our own ears and seen with our own eyes who you are. And uh, this week, again, to try and unpack this idea of faith, I, I, um, my wife was actually listening to a podcast. Again, I've told you before, she's, she's my teacher. She teaches me almost everything I've ever learned. Um, and uh, as I was listening to it, um, there was this, there was this uh, concept that this guy was putting forward, and he called faith three different things. He says there's unreasonable faith, there's blind faith, and then there is um, forensic faith. And this guy is actually was a, um, you know, a forensic scientist. He was a cold case detective, and uh, he, he actually sought out to disprove Christianity and then ended up coming to Christianity because he says it's the most logical, reasonable thing he's ever experienced. Um, and so, but I think this is important for us to unpack. Unreasonable faith is the kind of faith where against the evidence you see, you continue to believe. So, um, flat earth, sorry, some of you out there, I know you still love it, but um, it's against all the evidence that, we, that we've seen. Now, you can discredit the evidence, or whatever, but the evidence shows that the earth is round. We, you know, we've seen pictures, all of that stuff. But if you continue to believe in that flat earth, you're, you're going against what evidence would would say, so it's an unreasonable faith. And, uh, and so then, you know, that's, I mean, I would apply that to people who believe that there isn't a designer, um, all of those type of things. But again, that's a whole nother thing. Blind faith, blind faith is where you're believing based on, on something you've heard from somebody else or something you haven't experienced or you haven't known firsthand or, or something you believe without really caring about evidence. Maybe it's just the way you were raised, so you've continued to go that way, believing in Jesus or believing in whatever else you believe um, or you were raised to believe. Or like these people, some of them could have believed according to this woman's testimony. And blind faith is not necessarily bad because sometimes you end up in the right spot by blind faith. Um, but it's still not the faith that I, don't, that I think John is really writing to help people experience. Um, it's not the faith that, that I think the New Testament writers and Paul would really encourage um, forensic faith is this faith that really is based on evidence. It's, it's, it's I believe, um, and yet I'm going to test this belief. I'm going to try these things out. I'm going to um, try and go and get my own experience and understanding and revelation. And uh, I think this is just an important thing for us to remember um, as Christians in our day and age um, that we need to spend time with Jesus. Right now, you can go online and you can hear the greatest Bible teachers, um, you can hear worship songs that really are powerful and somebody, you know, out of the secret place with the Lord, they've brought these things out and you can, have, you can feel like you're having a secret place experience with the Lord based on a song. And again, nothing is wrong with those things. 
But if that's all there ever is, it could be that, that our faith is a little blind. And my fear is that as our faith gets tested, and I believe testing has come and will continue to come for a season, uh, if our faith is not really forensic, it's not rooted and grounded and deep and strong, then it's going to get blown away, washed away, um, like Jesus said, that those who build their house on the sand, when the storm comes, it's over. And so I really want to call our church and, um, to, to really try and dive into f- like a forensic faith, really, really put our faith to the test, really study the scriptures, really search things out. When you, when you hear somebody say something, don't just take it because they're cool looking or whatever, but actually try and really process it through, put it through the filter of the scriptures. Um, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, you can look that up later if you want. It's a really helpful filter to help us know and understand truth. Um, but that's the call, I think, from John, is he's really trying to get us to grow in faith. Um, my call as a pastor to myself and my own family is try and help us grow in faith and not just, you know, have easy answers or, or kind of, well, this is the way it's always been. I, I'm always trying to tell our kids, you know, when they say, hey, what do we believe about that? And I say, well, your mom and I have have decided that we believe this because the scriptures say this and all this, but you're going to have to decide what you think and what you believe. And they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. We it's like, no, no, no. Like, and so I'm trying to always encourage that because, because the faith that we have, I think for a season might cover them or sanctify them as the scripture teaches, but there's coming a day where God's going to say they have to you know, express their own. They need to have their own relationship with God. So we need to be helpful in that regard as well. Um, well, we're going to wrap things up now. We're going to um, go to have a little response time. Um, so the, a slide will appear on your screen. And, and you at home, um, if you're in a group, you can kind of interact with that. Someone step up and be bold and say, all right, I'll take the lead. Let's do this thing. If you're by yourself, you can just interact with this as well. And as always, you can put comments down below. We love to hear from you in any way, shape, or form, what the Lord's been speaking to you, what you need prayer requests for. Um, we love all of that. But, but go ahead and take a little time to just kind of let this word settle in and respond. And then we'll have a worship song that'll come in after that. God bless you guys.